Welcome to Her Stories, a series of podcasts showcasing the diverse expertise, wisdom, and courage of the members of the Mediterranean Women Mediators Network, presented by peace activist Magda Zenon. In each episode, recorded during the coronavirus social isolation period, a different mediator shares her story. Hello, this is Magda, and today on Her Stories we have the permanent representative of Montenegro to the UN since May of 2018, Milica Pejanovic-Juricic. Welcome, Milica. Thank you. Thank you, Magda, for having me. Milica, you have quite an impressive CV, so I would like you to introduce yourself to the listeners, please. Well, you can say so. You know, I'm coming from the small country, Montenegro, which is one of the countries that uh, regained its independence after all this, uh, what happened in the last 20 more years after the dissolution of Yugoslavia. So um, being a university professor and um, being a researcher in telecommunications engineering, more specifically in wireless communications, at the time that everything started and it was in 19. 89, a lot of young people, I was a young professor at the time, from the university thought that we should uh, be a part of all the changes that were going on. So having certain competencies, experiences and other things and uh, great willingness, we wanted to help our country. So we entered politics. What is interesting is actually while being in politics quite actively, I never left my university position and the chance to work with the young people because that's my passion. Well, I think there's nothing more inspiring than working with young people. It keeps you young and it keeps you informed. And it keeps you informed. You know what's happening when you... And and keeps you uh, being, um, being you. Yes. Being you in a way. So um, a lot of my colleagues who entered politics with me at that time left because, you know, politics is quite different from what is academic life. It's not always two plus two equal four. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there is so many things you've got to learn. And um, one of the skills which is very important there is um, the skill to make compromises. Okay. And to come to all these compromises, it's something which is very close to what mediators do mm. and what is actually mediation. So, you know, I'm an engineer coming from that field. It's an exact science. And being in politics, quite often you want there also to have everything quantified, told in an exact manner and have the straightforward solution. Mm. It wasn't like that, and still it's not like that. Doesn't work like Uh, that, politics. (laughs) So from that point, you know, living all these turbulent times here in the Balkans in the 90s, there was so many occasions where I had to build these kind of skills and competencies because one of the main objectives we did have in Montenegro at the time when we did have the war all around us in all these ex-Yugoslavian republics, for us, it was very important to 
preserve the peace inside Montenegro. Was it, e was it easy? Peace, was yes. it easy to preserve the peace inside Montenegro? Yeah. So to preserve the peace, uh, it needed a lot of dialogue, a lot of communication between ourselves, yes. between different political options. It wasn't that actually there were some who were too much inclined towards some kind of conflicts, but still there was a lot of uh, misunderstandings between us. There was a lot of influence from outside. And um, I was a part of all these, I would say, mediation efforts inside the country where we succeeded to keep Montenegro together and to avoid any kind of internal conflicts. Well, the area at the time was quite fluid. Yeah, of People course. were moving around. Well, there was a war in Croatia, in Bosnia and Herzegovina. Mm. So at that time, a Federal Republic of Yugoslavia we were a part of, together with Serbia, was a part of all these developments. And we didn't want to be, get, to be involved. Mm and didn't want to have our people polarized on that platforms. So we managed, we really did manage through all these uh, efforts, which were a kind of mediation efforts to preserve the peace in Montenegro. And uh, I'm very proud of that because it wasn't a Balkan kind of a story. It was very different. Tell and me we how. are the Balkan people still, I mean, there is no doubt about that. But to show that we are having that uh, internal capacity to resolve the things in a democratic way, through listening to each other, through trying to find the common solution, was something not very present in the area at all. Not at all, not at all. There was, so, a, I mean, there was a lot of ego in the area at the time. which enabled us to go forward with our development and to go forward, which was our ultimate goal. Mm. And the ultimate one was to regain our independence, but not on any price. We didn't want to regain our independence, independence of Montenegro, on the price of conflict or whatever, because we didn't think it would be wise enough. So we were very patient, very, very patient. It took us a time, but it paid off at the end because in 2006, we organized a referendum. You never did have a referendum of that kind in this part of the world. It was very democratic. It was even with the criteria for the success, which uh, haven't been known in democratic world mm -hmm. because um, in communication with the European Commission and our European partners, as we wanted the referendum to be right away, the results of referendum to be recognized, we even agreed that the qualified majority for the positive outcome of a referendum would be 55% of the voters. Whoa. No, it never happened anywhere. And we were successful again. How long, so, did it, how long did the dialogue take? How many years did it take you to reach the referendum? Well, years. So we started more actively working on that in um, 1997. Okay. So in the meantime, there was um, all these um, things uh, like war in Kosovo and everything that uh, 
fall of Milosevic in Serbia. In parallel, again, preserving Montenegro of any kind of conflict, we were working on our preparations for referendum. Okay. We wanted to do that in cooperation with the European Union and our European partners, because you do know that uh, our strategic goal is to become a member of European Union. So we were developing our partnership in that way as well. So at one point in 2002, actually, it seems that European Union and our European partners wanted to give a chance to the new political establishment that came in Serbia after Milosevic Mm -hmm. by putting some kind of um, pressure, I would say, on us to accept a trial for living together with Serbia for another three years through the State Union of Serbia Montenegro. Okay. We haven't been happy about that. <laughs> But you But tried. Again, But you tried. We were patient. Okay. And we accepted. But in that agreement, we put a condition. Okay, we'll accept another three years. We don't have anything against Serbia, mind you. It's not about that. It's not about being against Serbia. It's just about you... having a different priorities. So we thought then and all the time that our priorities would be better fulfilled if we can do that on our own. I mean, otherwise, you know, everyone is having its own challenges. And why we would be a kind of a hostage of situation in Serbia, of different things they got to handle. That wasn't our business. Mm. Of course, we will help to everyone. But I mean, we shouldn't be the ones who are standing in the place without the possibility to go forward with the European negotiations because, I mean, the other partner is having open issues. So from that point, we accepted in 2002, of course, because we didn't want to confront to our European partners. As I said, we, mm-hmm. we thought that we should be the real partners. We accepted that and we signed the agreement for the State Union, Serbia and Montenegro, but under the condition that after the three years, we have the right to have a referendum. Of course, everyone thought, I would say a lot of them in European Union as well, that we wouldn't go for that right. And they and they, they underestimated you. Completely. <laughs> But we were working hard. Of course, we didn't undermine the state union. We tried to make it operational. It was obvious that it wasn't possible. So after three years, we went for a referendum. And um, European Union, there was a kind of mediator, really, one. Okay. Uh, between between the different parties in Montenegro, because in Montenegro at that time we did have politically two big blocks, one which politically uh, composed of all these different political parties, one block which was pro-independent, and the other who was for uh, staying the, in the union, for the union to keep on having a union with Serbia. So. We, of course, talked between each other, but we we thought at the time that it would be much better to have European Union as a kind of mediator. So we've got got that because both blocs agreed. And we did have a high representative of the European Commission, which was Miroslav Lajčak, 
Mm. who is now again high representative for Serbia-Kosovo issue. <laughs> he knows the area well. He, he, is someone, he is someone really who knows the region. And I believe that the fact uh, he was high representative for the time of our referendum, which was so successful, is a kind of um, big reference for him. I yes. So it was a win situation. And on the other side, we've got from the... European Union also a representative who was the chair of our um, election committee who was controlling the results and the process and everything. And both both blocks, he was also Slovak, Ambassador Lipka. So both blocks agreed on that. And there was the constant mediation there which uh, lasted four months before the referendum in order to agree on all the conditions, you know, everything which was needed, so that after referendum ends, everyone would recognize the results. What position, what position, you were held a position during that period? Were you not an ambassador? So, pro-independent all the time. Okay. I was pro-independent all my life. Okay. And what was the result? What was the percentage? So, the result was uh, 55 point something. We just, we were just above the bar, the limit which was given to us and the results of the referendum since it uh, was implemented in a perfect way i mean democratically were right away recognized okay inside the country and outside the country very very important to have outside the country as well of course and uh, i mean it was um, it was in may 2006 and already in september the same year so in 3 months uh, our flag was raised uh, at the east river mm. in front of un so we were already full fledged member of un everything in 2 3 months and we do believe that uh, it's usually not that fast. yes and usually not that simple and that's him, but but we believe that it's the result of all this process we had beforehand, where we were working on that together, no matter that we were thinking differently, but we were able to work together to define what are the conditions, how we will implement them, and then go forward. And you were also speaking to civil society. It wasn't just at state level. It just wasn't yes, a- of course, because I mean these were two blocks like movements. So they weren't just the political parties. Mm. It was different stakeholders who were pro-independent or not, but supporting these blocks that were there. So the whole society was arranged about that, of course. It's, it's normal. It's a huge thing. Was it during that process that you got some experience in mediation? Well, it was, it was even before. It was at the beginning of 90s when we did have, at that time, I was member of the state presidency. So our responsibility was huge when it comes to different issues of internal politics. And I remember it was at the time when the war started in Croatia and other places. And um, when the Yugoslav army at the time was part of uh, all these developments where a number of boys from Montenegro were engaged not by their own willingness Mm -hmm. or their conviction. So uh, we did have to talk with all different people, including the army people, generals, how to resolve these things and have us a little bit separate. 
separated from all these developments that were going on around and then further on. There were so many turbulences, you know, and in all these turbulences, it was very important to talk with people. And I always did have that kind of a role where I was trying to just bring people to talk to each other. I agree with you. It doesn't matter what they say, but if they're talking to each other, it's a very good starting point. That's always different because, you know, when you are having people in politics, they are having so different positions. And if they are just uh, quarreling among each other, accusing or whatever, I mean, publicly, that's had a certain impact and influence on other people. And then you can get in a situation which wouldn't be favorable enough. But if they are around the same table, exchanging there, you know, directly, personally, it's always different type of communication they are engaged in. They want to hear each other. Even when you directly say something which can be even insulting, it's still different mm. than if you say it, I don't know, in the parliament or over the air or whatever. So we did have a lot of that. And uh, even in our own party, which did have uh, uh, a great, great, I would say, 1996 and seven, our party, which is still the ruling party in Montenegro, uh, split on two parts and it was very ugly. And there as well, I was trying so much, so much talking with one part, the other part, trying to get them together because I was always, uh, always really convinced that that's the only way forward. You've got to talk to each other directly mm. and to see what is the minimum common ground you can establish between yourself and then go forward from that and build on that. But can I just say that? Can I just of the important things? Can I just interrupt you? I think also if you involve people in a conversation, they have more ownership, which means they trust the process more. Definitely, that's also very interesting mm. and important because whatever you are doing, I mean, whatever you are doing, that's that's what we are having. For example, now in UN, you know, whatever we are doing now, one of the parameters or uh, almost a kind of a mantra word is like uh, multi-stakeholders, <laughs> multi-stakeholders. So I don't know how it sounds, but uh, it does have this uh, substantial meaning, uh, which is related with the fact that you've got to have people involved. Yes, you do. But let's yeah, I mean, especially today, you know, People are having so many information. They they are not passive anymore. Mm. They they just need to be engaged. And uh, I mean, I would like if we would be able to further on when we are talking about, for example, digital, what is um, another my passion yes. and my profession, of course, and everything. And where um, now I notice that due to this pandemic. We are all much more digital and <laughs> yeah. we all have achieved what we haven't achieved in 30 years before. Surprising. It's encouraging, of course. <laughs> because definitely we couldn't, people who were arguing that it's so important to go digital, couldn't raise that 
level of awareness why it was important, but now it's that small virus which did it for yes. us, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, from that point. So I believe that even that digital could be much more used for enabling something which is more participative democracy. It is so important. It's not just those social networks, you know. No, I... it's, it's another part of the story. But that involvement of the people in what the governments are doing, I mean, that would be, that would be fantastic because anyway, we are witnessing these years that uh, that level, I mean, level of trust of people towards the government is not well, as it used to no, be. No, it's not. So I, what's the way to improve that? And we need the improvement there. I think we should use digital as well. Well, I'm noticing as... That's not what I was thinking about. I'm, I'm noticing in the networks that I'm involved in, when we used to travel, some women did not have the ability, some of the participants did not have the ability to travel for a variety of, of reasons. With yeah. going digital, it means more people can be present because you just you just need an internet connection, which is not always easy, but it's certainly easier than traveling. So it's uh, so it's um, it gives the opportunity for people to be present in situations that previously they weren't present in, the digital. Sure, and that's important because, as you said, there are a number of people who, especially from the civil sector, mm. academia, governments usually know, but I mean, these others, which didn't have resources, I mean, at least it could be money or whatever. So now we are all there, we can exchange, mm. we can talk. We feel a part of uh, different networks. Yes. And uh, I just hope that many of the, these things will keep on doing further on, even after this pandemic is over. I believe they will. Well, I think we've I'm all sorry. realized the benefit of it. Nothing replaces a real meeting, but we've all realized no. the benefit of actually being able to connect with people online. That it's not always necessary to travel. Exactly. That you can do certain things in a very efficient way digitally. Mm. Of course, there are certain things you need the personal and personal contact is something which is invaluable. But still, I mean, for these things which are operational, which are also some kind of brainstorming or whatever, they could so easily be mm. done in this way. And uh, I believe that will help us because it's less time. In, in when we were traveling, it's days. Exactly. It's days. So like this, um, we will have more time for some other things. And you, it's less time, it's uh, less energy, it's mm -hmm. less resources. Mm -hmm. And you Yeah, can, that's uh, so I mean, in UN, for example, now we are working digitally from beginning of March. So now it's uh, almost fourth month. I don't think that we were less effective in this period. So there was a number, a number of resolutions that were negotiated, a number of processes which are going on. So, of course, there are some processes where maybe it would be easier to go through some issues if we talk directly to each other. But still, the level of efficiency is really very, very high. Mm. 
Tell me, you were also responsible or part of a big project to digitalize Montenegro, were you not? It's what, as you said, it's one of your passions. No, I, I did a lot of things on that, and I was uh, working on that for for many, many years. So together with my team from the Faculty of Electrical Engineering, we did so many things when it comes to ICTs in Montenegro, when it comes to uh, building the right infrastructure, we were part of all major breakthroughs and starting from the fixed wireless to second generation mobile, third generation mobile, fourth generation mobile, optical infrastructure, internet infrastructure. Now, last year, for example, we did the big thing and the pilot project, which was uh, related with the introduction of IP protocol version 6, which should be enabled faster and more secure internet. So I'm very proud of everything we did there. I mean, maybe it was easier because it's a small country, but still uh, from the point of what is ICTs and how it's implemented and how it's affordable and accessible, uh, we are among the leaders in Europe, not only in this region, you know? Okay, good. So it's very important. It's very important for the economy, it's very important for from the point that um, service economy is a huge part of our overall economy, including tourism. Yeah. So from that point, I believe that a lot of things uh, have been done. And of course, the development is going on. And I'm quite sure that we'll go further on with these new technologies on the same pace as it was in the past. Tell me, Melitza, you are a member of the Mediterranean Women Mediators Network. What do you believe the network can give you and what do you believe you can give the network? Well, uh, I'm a part of that, you know, even uh, before um, before going to New York to be a permanent representative of my country for some almost five years, I was Minister of Defence and um, at the very challenging times when uh, we were working on... Um, our membership to NATO and when we managed to succeed in that project as well. So um, that was a kind of a very challenging project because um, uh, here in Montenegro internally, we also had a great polarization among uh, our citizens and our population when it comes to NATO. So it was again something like the situation with independence, half, half, mm. Uh, for, half, against, and it wasn't easy to implement all these, not only requirements which are technical, which are security, military-oriented, but also very intensive public campaign Mm -hmm. to try to get people to understand what is all that about and why it is important for Montenegro. So we work very hard on that as well. Uh, avoided again any major confrontations and after that um, it was um, ambassador of Italy here in Montenegro who proposed me to become a part of the network Mm -hmm. so I accepted and I think that um, his reasoning was of a kind that uh, I went through so many challenging situations (laughs) which um, I was able to go through by this kind of uh, approach and attitude, which was completely directed through open and transparent conversation and exchange of arguments. 
So I do believe that that kind of experience I'm having could be a kind of an Advantage. added value to the okay. network. What do you For me, definitely, it's, um, first of all, meeting all these wonderful women, which um, are having such a wonderful experiences, very useful mm. things they did. So talking with all of them, being in contact with them, I'm uh, learning and lo a lot. And uh, on the other side, also realizing what other situations could be and where we as women could be a kind of a key players mm -hmm. in um, achieving what are normally these um, goals of peaceful solutions, whatever is going on. And I do believe that uh, women should be having more role in uh, all these situations. And that is something also I'm using every opportunity while in UN to stress out, to have more women at every places which are related with uh, attaining the peace, resolving the conflicts and having a sustainable solutions. I do believe that they are having that inherited capacity and skills for that to be more successful. Well, I think, well, I think not to generalize, but I think women are more creative in their thinking. I think it's not one dimensional. They're not scared to they, take one step to the are, side. They are creative. And when they do something, they're more committed, I would say. Mm. And on the other side, I mean, the fact that um, it's, of course, very difficult to generalize, I agree. Yes. But um, also, I mean, to introduce uh, that um, sense of um, human approach and uh, uh, a little bit of emotions, it's always helpful in these tricky situations because people tend, no matter in which kind of conflict they are, to, to feel that and then to respond in a more sincere way. I agree that with is you. important. I agree that with you. That is so important. Yeah. You know, you just can't come and be bureaucratic. Like you've got to do this, 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 and the results will be those, those, those. No, 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 no. You've got to have your real human face and to approach the people who are having the problem, obviously. Problems could be different, mm -hmm. very complex if situations like that arise. So showing that you feel for them. That you're listening. something... That you actually that listening. You are listening, of course, and you do know that women are listening better. Mm. That that's a fact. I mean, that you are listening, that you are not there just to uh, give them some kind of recipes, miraculous one which will <laughs> give results. That always, uh, I think, is giving uh, better, better, better outcomes than being a kind of. And it's a very good thing that actually now in UN you are having Secretary General. A good one. Who is, yeah, who is, um, un who really understands that? And who, mm, who did a number of appointments of women on the places where you would never expect them, like in Iraq and the things like that. So that's, I think, a very good move he's doing. Well, he's, he definitely has put his money where his mouth is because he, He's yeah, talking, yeah, definitely. He's, he's talked gender uh, parity and telling he's done... that as a kind of, you mm. know, declarations. No, mm. no, no. He's there very persistent and he's one of the 
gender champions there definitely that that's true and that's that's good to see i mean because it's not an easy thing to oh. have that kind of understanding because i know you pressed for time i will ask you one last question if i had to ask you what your best quality is what would you tell me what is the, your best quality i'm sure you have many and i've heard a few in this conversation what do you feel your strongest quality is Oh, that's a difficult one. <laughs> that's a difficult one. That might be for someone else who is working with me or knows me, but very good. But um, I believe that um, it might be determination as a such. So if I'm convinced that something is right, that I'm not leaving it. Okay. I'll go, I'll go whatever it costs. And um, I did have a number of situations like that, but I was very, very persistent in trying to achieve the certain objective, which I was sure that it was good. It was usually about the public good, not about my own. Mm -hmm. And so far, I've got to say, it worked. It worked, of course. It couldn't be just that, of course, but oh. I mean... You've got to have uh, that kind of commitment in what you are doing. And maybe also the fact that I managed in these, all these years, I've been dealing uh, with different things, being in politics more or less actively, but quite present, uh, to preserve my integrity. Oh, that's very that important. That is something which I believe it's very important. So I'm who I am and who I was 30 or 40 years ago. Uh, I was very aware that my integrity is very important. Mm. I did have that luxury, I've got to say, to have my other profession as a researcher, as someone who was successful and still is successful in that field, which helped me a lot. So you could so create I the balance. I was very sure in myself and um, I never made any compromises except on the issues which are of the public good, on the issues which would be leading to a better and sustainable result. You never compromised on your integrity? Is no, what you say. Never. I agree it with you. It was something no one could talk to me about. And I'm known as someone who is putting that at the pedestal. I don't know why is that, but probably I'm brought up like that. And that's part of my personality. Oh, I must agree with you. I need to know that at night I can sleep well. Yeah, of and course. And if I maintain my integrity, so I can sleep. That is so important. And uh, I live with these people here and I want to live with them. And uh, I mean, I'm who I am and there is no reason for me not to be a part of this community as I was 30 or 40 years ago. And I have no, no doubts about that. That's mm -hmm. so important for me. Okay. I agree with you. Integrity is top of the list. Uh, Melissa, is there anything you want to say before we close? Well, just to say that um, I am so glad that I'm part of the Mediterranean Women Mediators Network and I do hope that uh, in the future, once these challenging times are over, we will be able to 
think more about the uh, way how ways how we could uh, be engaged. So I don't think that it's only about the conflicts and the, there are some uh, other situations where also we could be very helpful in order to enable places where sustainable development will be possible, where people will be feeling equal and free with the same opportunities. Uh, it seems that uh, we are at the moment leaving something which is a kind of a general reset of everything. Mm. So that's the time to put forward some new principles and new ways. And uh, I believe that in the network there is so many women of high quality skills and competencies that we could be more effective. Well, Melissa, the, I, you're my 20th interview in over two oh. two months. You cannot believe how much I've learned with every interview. So much talent, so much integrity, so much courage. Um, I'll end every, at the end of an interview, I've learned at least one thing and I'm even more inspired. So I agree with you. It's a bank or a database of so much talent. It would be a pity not to, that we do not use it more creatively and more effectively. So let's so let's make a wish. 2020 June going forward, we will all be more effective, or at least put together a strategy and roadmap mm -hmm. to become more effective. That's true. We've got to think through and to see what kind of um, strategy and the kind of I would say roadmap mm. for the better involvement would be possible. Yes. Okay. It's a joint you can wish. count on me there. <laughs> we can count on each other. So that's a good yeah, wish. Sure. That's a good wish going forward. I want to thank you very much for being on Her Stories today. And I look forward when the situation settles slightly to get to meet you. Sure. Thank you, Magda. Thank you very much for having me. And I'm also hopeful that uh, we will have the chance to meet Better sooner than later. Yes. <laughs> Better sooner. Inshallah. 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 Okay. That's true. That's true. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa, and have a lovely rest of the day. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Her Stories, please leave comments, suggestions, and reviews, and share with anyone you feel may find this equally interesting. A big thank you to our sponsor, You and Woman and see you on the next episode.